0: This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi inuji Dean. Today is Monday, November 15th. Today, we'll hear a tale of two cities, one in Kansas and one in Colorado. Four decades ago, they competed for the world's largest meatpacking plant. For the winner, it meant becoming the epicenter of the region's beef industry. For the other, it meant a continued economic slide. David Kondos of the Kansas News Service reports.
1: Larry Jones lives in a farmhouse just outside Garden City, surrounded by rows of Milo. But even out here on the sparsely populated Great Plains, he runs into traffic jams.
2: light's coming on the highway at about 5.30.
1: So when the first shift starts coming in, it's a line of cars and a line of trucks. Why? His farm and cattle company sit next door to one of the country's largest meatpacking plants, Tyson Foods Finney County Beef Plant. With over 3,000 employees, the sprawling slaughterhouse butchers more than 6,000 head of cattle every day. Jones, who's also a county commissioner, says having the plant here cut trucking costs for local livestock owners and supercharge the local economy.
2: Driving through Garden City, it's changed immensely. If you'd been here 20 years ago and looked at it, you wouldn't recognize the town.
1: More jobs, an influx of immigrants, a growing town in a region that has lost population for generations. This meatpacking plant's arrival in 1980 marked a turning point for Garden City, making it the fastest growing part of Kansas almost overnight. But the decision to build it here also changed the fate of another town, Lamar, Colorado. That's because Lamar was the runner-up in the contest to land the plant decades ago. In the 1960s and 70s, the number of water wells drilled into the Ogallala Aquifer under western Kansas skyrocketed. It created an ecosystem. The aquifer waters the corn, the corn feeds the cows, the cows drive the meatpackers.
2: Although many processing plants are located near metropolitan areas of consumption, there is a growing trend to locate plants in areas of supply.
1: As this film from Union Pacific Railroad points out, meatpacking plants historically operated in urban centers. Kansas City, Chicago. But in the 1960s, packers began to build plants in the countryside, away from big city unions and closer to cattle.
2: Today, a pound of meat travels an average of 1,000 miles from the open plains to the kitchen range.
1: Don Stahl tracked the meatpacking industry's impact on Garden City for more than three decades as a University of Kansas professor. And he cataloged it in his book, Slaughterhouse Blues.
2: Garden City was more or less the first of what became these boom towns tied to food processing. It was largely a white agrarian community in 1980. And within five years, Garden City grew by one third.
1: Its rapid growth also brought change the town still wrestles with today. Housing shortages, strains on healthcare, education, social services... And since many of the plant workers were and are immigrants and refugees, it would remake the town in a way that worried some white residents. But local leaders bet big on the plant to secure the community's future economy. And by many measures, it worked. The beef industry now pumps around $2 billion into the county's economy each year. And the city has parlayed that growth into becoming the region's retail hub. It boasts the only Target store for more than 200 miles. So what would Garden City look like today without me packing? Well, look at Lamar. Lamar, Colorado sits 100 miles west of Garden City. The towns share the same river, the same highway, the same railroad line, and the same Dust Bowl past. And through the 1960s, they had roughly the same number of residents. But Garden City's population has just about doubled since 1970. It's now over 28,000. Lamars remain stuck around 7,500. While Garden City gained another 1,500 people in the latest census, Lamar lost more than 100 residents. Russ Baldwin takes a left turn off of Lamar's Main Street. Yeah, behold, the former Burger King, home of the ex-Wamper. Plywood boards cover the drive through window. KFC left town, too. Within minutes, he drives past the old Kmart, vacant. The airport? It lost its last commercial flight more than a decade ago. Baldwin moved to Lamar the same year the plant opened in Garden City and now runs the town's weekly newspaper. He says the last 15 years have been particularly tough. Okay, you're sitting there going, you know, you know, what's next, the locust invasion? It wasn't always this way. Stephanie Gonzalez heads the Regional Economic Development Organization. She grew up in Lamar in the 1980s. I remember
0: seeing buses running east and west, north and south. I remember having a lot of people up and down Main Street, that's what we need to get back
1: to. Those buses brought in workers for the town's bus factory, which employed roughly 600 people at its peak. But that factory laid off its last 300 workers in 2006, including Gonzalez's parents. Fifteen years later, she says the town is still searching for new employers that can make up for all those lost jobs. But there's a perception that Lamar doesn't have enough workers to make it worthwhile to do business here. It's a vicious cycle that's repeated across rural America. Having fewer jobs and businesses makes it hard for towns to attract and retain residents. Having fewer residents makes it hard for towns to get new jobs and businesses. Meanwhile, Garden City's growth makes it even more difficult for nearby towns like Lamar to compete. Gonzalez says Lamar residents often drive over an hour to shop in Garden City. That speeds the demise of businesses in Lamar.
0: The development that we're seeing with Garden City and the growth that they've experienced could have really benefited Lamar and the surrounding areas, you know, had there been maybe some different mentality at the time.
1: That mentality, a fear of change. Some people in Lamar worried about bringing in immigrant and refugee workers.
0: We should have welcomed the diverse numbers of people that would have been employed at a facility like that.
1: County Commissioner Wendy Buxton Andrade says that outlook kept Lamar from pushing harder to get the meatpacking plant. Even though she says the town is more welcoming now, changing that mindset has been a decades-long struggle. And people in Lamar still talk about what might have been.
2: Forty years later, hindsight's always 20-20,
0: and I think it's a shame. I think we missed a huge opportunity.
1: Back at the Tyson plant in western Kansas, a steady stream of trucks carry cattle in and meat out. Even after four decades of growth, beef still directly or indirectly drives nearly all of Garden City's industries. Here's Kansas professor Don Stulligan.
2: If the Tyson plant were to close tomorrow, Garden City would be in a world of hurt.
1: Within decades, much of the underground aquifer that fuels the beef ecosystem around Garden City will run dry. And that could send big plants like this one packing in search of more reliable water sources. So even with Garden City's recent prosperity, Stahl says it's likely just a matter of time before this boomtown goes bust.
2: Ultimately, unless something can be done to turn that trend around, western Kansas will look like eastern Colorado.
0: Tyson has attracted thousands of workers to Garden City, but many of them struggle to take care of basic needs.
2: They're not in the business of providing housing or healthcare. They're in the business of making meat.
0: Coming up, we'll hear from some of the people working to make sure their neighbors don't fall through the cracks. UMB, Private Wealth Management, a division of UMB Bank, takes the time to understand your history, goals, and priorities. UMB tailors financial planning services and resources to help you accumulate, preserve, and protect your wealth for whatever life throws your way. It's all about establishing a customized plan for you so you can focus on the important parts of life, like spending time with family and friends, pursuing your passions, or building a career. Feel confident about your future at UMB Private Wealth Management. Everything we do starts with you. Learn more at umb.com slash wealth hyphen management. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. The meatpacking industry has brought billions of dollars and thousands of jobs to Garden City, but the town still has growing pains. David Kondos of the Kansas News Service brings us the second part of his story.
1: Outside an old, white, two-story house in downtown Garden City, dozens of people stand in a loose row that spills out the driveway and onto the sidewalk.
2: Wednesday and Friday, the people come in for food boxes, and the line is long.
1: Maria Hernandez cooks for the soup kitchen here at Emmaus House. It also doubles as a housing shelter and the largest food pantry in southwest Kansas. Today, she'll help pass out free food boxes to roughly 160 families. A lot of the groceries in those boxes were donated by the area's largest employer, Tyson Foods. Its meatpacking plant on the outskirts of town has lifted Garden City to new heights of prosperity. But for many of the workers who hold down the tough jobs in that giant slaughterhouse, the reality isn't always so rosy. Nearly half of the people who stand in line at this food pantry on a given week come from families employed at Tyson's meatpacking plant. A
0: lot of people think, well, you know, you're working at it. Tyson, so you're making really good money. By the time you pay your rent, by the time you pay your utilities, by the time you pay even enrolling your kids in school, they don't have enough for food.
1: That's Robin Marsh, who heads up Emmaus House. Tyson recently raised starting pay at this plant to $20 per hour. But many workers' families still meet the poverty income guidelines that qualify them for food assistance. Since the plant opened four decades ago, per capita incomes in Garden City have lost pace with the rest of Kansas. And the number of people living in poverty, seeking food assistance, that soared. It's a boomtown, sure, but a meatpacking boomtown.
2: This is the American Midwest. Its grain, pork, and beef feed the world.
1: That 1985 video from the meatpacking company that built the plant touts it among the world's most productive beef slaughterhouses. But when it opened in 1980, Garden City had a problem. It needed thousands of new workers to come to a part of the Great Plains that had been emptying for generations.
2: No teeming masses and crowded freeways.
1: So Garden City opened its doors to immigrants and refugees. And for that, it got some help. From
2: the largest slaughterer and processor of beef in the world.
1: The plant recruited many of the 2,000 South Asian refugees who migrated to Garden City around that time. It bussed other workers in from hundreds of miles away. It even broadcast on border-town radio stations to tempt workers from Mexico. And because these meatpacking jobs had an annual turnover rate of nearly 100%, the company had to keep recruiting new waves of workers, over and over. In the plant's first five years, Garden City pulled in 6,000 new residents. That created a new problem. Garden City wasn't ready for them. A year after opening, the plant surveyed its employees and found that one-third were paying excessive rent, and one out of 20 were living in cars or motels. For the immigrants and refugees who make up much of the plant's 3000 plus workforce today, the outlook hasn't gotten much sunnier. Here's Robin Marsh from Emmaus House again.
0: But once they get here, like, well, where are we going to live? Crap, we can't afford, you know, a $900 house payment. So those are the struggles that we still deal with and always have in all the years that I've been here.
1: Some end up at Emmaus House, others in a giant mobile home park built in the 80s to house the plant's employees. Marsh says it's common for homes there today to have a hole in the floor, or no windows. But residents often can't afford to move to a better place, if they could even find one. The answer
2: is pretty simple. <laughs> we need more we need more houses. It's the how do you get those that's
1: the difficulty. City manager Matt Allen says the area continues to be six to 700 housing units short of demand. And housing is just the start. Law enforcement, hospitals, and schools have to bridge language gaps, dozens of them. Today, roughly two-thirds of the town's students receive free or reduced lunch because of their family's low income. And without the same resources that big cities have, the extra work to support newcomers often falls to regular folks school teachers, healthcare workers, volunteers. The next lady is from Guatemala. Sister Janice Tommy is one of them. Sometimes she drives people to Kansas City or Wichita to see a doctor or immigration lawyer. Today, she's picking up as many Emmaus House food boxes as her compact car can hold for people who can't get to the food bank. It's Sister Janice with your food box. She says Garden Cityans take pride in helping out. Most people here today see how the steady stream of immigrants and refugees keeps the town alive. At one time they had this one clause that says, Garden City, uh, this is where the world grows. We're living it. And I think it's wonderful. It's a humanitarian effort on the part of
0: a whole lot of people.
1: But how much longer can this patchwork of support hold together? When workers at the county's largest employer can't afford basic needs like food and housing, has the city truly found success? Pablo Bose teaches at the University of Vermont and studies refugee resettlement in rural America. His research shows that community-based systems for supporting new immigrants can be highly effective because more people buy in. But Bose says those makeshift safety nets can fray to pieces without a key person here or there, someone like Sister Janice. And when that individual gets burnt out or retires, you have to go through a whole process of like getting somebody up to speed to do that. So it makes that really challenging. It makes it precarious. Meanwhile, the anchor of the local economy is roped to a single multinational conglomerate headquartered in another state. At any point, Tyson could shut down this plant. It's actually happened before. A second beef plant in Garden City, run by another giant food company, ConAgra, suddenly closed two decades ago after a fire put 2,300 people out of work overnight. Local leaders traveled to ConAgra headquarters in 2001, essentially begging the company to come back. They didn't even get a meeting. The plant is history.
2: You know, they didn't really give a damn about Garden City. And I think that's true of these multinational corporations in general.
1: Don Stahl studied Garden City's relationship with the meatpacking industry for 30 years as a University of Kansas professor. He says Garden City and other meatpacking towns can't expect the companies that run the plants to save the day.
2: They're not in the business of providing housing or health care or other kinds of services that their workers generally need. They're in the business of making
1: meat. So, community initiatives like the Emmaus House Food Pantry and Soup Kitchen have to step in. The number of meals served here nearly quadrupled from 2000 to 2010. And the line for Maria Hernandez's cooking isn't likely to get shorter anytime soon.
2: I'm happy when a lot of people come in because I think, oh, they like my food.
1: For the Kansas News Service, I'm David Condos in Garden City.
0: KCUR's Kansas News Service reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. Find more at ksnewsservice.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nugia-Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Gabe Rosenberg. You can hear Kansas City's NPR station live on the radio at 89.3 FM or on our live stream at kcur.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.